0: Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we are wrapping up this series that's been all about life's transitions and specifically life's unwanted transitions that we've called the land between. What we said every week is that there are moments in life where we get thrust into the space that we've called the land between, where you're not where you once were and yet you're not yet where you're going, you're just kind of in the middle and and life gets disrupted and oftentimes it's something difficult that happens to us that throws us for a loop and it's so difficult for us to know how to navigate this space. But what we've said every single week is that this can also be a pivotal space where God shows up in our lives. So I'm excited to wrap things up today. Um, This series is based on a book that I read a few years back when I was in a land between season, and I've thrown it up every week. Just if you want to take the conversation further, uh, the book's written by a pastor named Jeff Mannion, who's a pastor up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, But if you want to take it further, it's Just a little bit deeper dive into what we've talked about these past three weeks and we don't make any money off the book sales or anything like that it's just a resource for you if you want to take it further but as i was thinking about uh wrapping this up today and where we're headed i was reminded of this movie that i saw uh, longer ago than i want to admit it came out in 2008 which we were doing the math earlier i think our guy who's running lyrics today was maybe just born He's two, yeah, that hurts me because he's one of our high school students now. But anyway, uh, this movie came out in 2008. It was called The Hurt Locker. Uh, It actually beat out Avatar for Best Picture that year. It was nominated, (laughs) (laughs) Cheryl's excited. It was nominated uh, for nine Academy Awards. It won six of them, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay. But it's a movie uh, that was set in 2004 uh, in Iraq post the U.S. invasion. And it centered specifically around uh, this bomb squad and, and some of the individuals within it who were tasked with dismantling and disarming these different roadside bombs that were scattered throughout the country at the time. And it's a really intense movie. Um, Like most of the movie you can feel the tension. Uh, If you remember the show 24, remember that one back in the day where it's like, they had 24 hours and Jack Bauer had to cut the wire right at the end. It's kind of like that, just the whole movie where it's like they're diffusing these bombs and it's like, oh my gosh, are they gonna do it? And you feel the tension all throughout. But the scene that I was thinking about as it relates to the land between is actually not Uh, a wartime scene. Uh, It's one of the most disruptive scenes in the movie, in my opinion, but it doesn't happen in Iraq or the Middle East, or it doesn't happen in a combat setting. It actually shows up towards the end of the movie after the main character, whose first name is escaping me, but it's played by Jeremy Renner, uh, who's Hawkeye, if you didn't know, in the Marvel Universe, just for reminder's sake, I guess. Uh, It happens at the end of the movie when he is back in the States, and he's trying to adjust to normal life. And, and so he's in the grocery store and he bumps into his wife, who has tasked him with the simple task of choosing out some cereal for them. And check out the scene to see what happens. Seven. Seven. Wow, I need some shopping. Yeah. Got some soda. We done? you want to get us some cereal? I'll meet you at the checkout. Okay. Cereal. So again, that scene might not seem like much out of context, right? So go watch the movie and you'll feel how intense this feels in the moment because if you can remember, we've watched like an hour plus up to this point of this character in like high stakes combat scenarios where like the risk is high and he's a leader and he's directing troops where to go and he's like diffusing bombs that could take out troops at any moment. And it's like drama, 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 tension, tension, tension. And then he's asked to pick out a box of cereal, (laughs) And he's just standing there, right? Doing something that to many of us would feel very normal. Although maybe you can relate because there's a lot of options. But, but he's standing there and it's like he's, he's kind of paralyzed. Right? Again, we've seen him doing so many high stakes, intense, complicated rescues throughout the movie. And then at this point, he's standing there and he is totally resigned to everyday life. I mean, you can see how haphazardly he's like that one, right? And just walks off and he, he snags the thing off the end cap as he's walking by. He was out of his element, back home right he was out of his element in the midst of everyday life and, and that scene is powerful in the context of the movie because i think all of us if we're honest have been there at one point or another right you're going through the motions of everyday life you're just doing the stuff that maybe you're supposed to do but you're in this space where it feels a little out of your element right you feel a little bit lost even though life is going on as it seems like it ought to uh, maybe you can remember when you were in high school and your family picked up and moved and it was your junior year and so like all your friends that you had made up to that point were left behind but you're walking through the halls and you're at the lunchroom, right, and you've got your tray and you've got your food and then you have to have that moment where it's like where do I sit, right? It's all normal but all of a sudden normal just doesn't feel normal and it's like how do I navigate all of this? Uh, Maybe you've searched the classified ads after decades of work and you've just feel the like awkwardness of like help wanted and uh, what am I gonna do And, and navigating that maybe You've experienced the words dating again, right? And it's just like, whoa, what is this world dating in your 30s or your 40s? Uh, Maybe you've experienced opening that microwave meal for yourself, right, after years of marriage and suddenly you're cooking for one. It's normal stuff, right? But it doesn't feel normal in that moment. And we've all found ourselves wondering from time to time, like this seems like it should be so simple. But why is it so hard, right? Why does it feel so off? Why am I finding myself in this new context? That feeling is a feeling that shows up in the land between. It shows up when we're disrupted and we're not where we once were, but we're not where we want to be yet. We're just kind of stuck and we're figuring out how to navigate this unknown space. And sometimes what happens is when we find ourselves there, when we find ourselves in the land between, uh, rather than defining ourselves by who we are or, or even by who we're becoming, where we're wanting to go next, what we can naturally tend to do in the land between is we start to define ourselves by who we're not anymore. Right? We're constantly looking back, and just like Jeremy Renner's character, right? he's no longer defusing bombs in Iraq. He's no longer a soldier. He's no longer on mission, and he's trying to navigate what does life look like now that he's back. And sorry if I spoil the movie. He ends up redeploying for another assignment because he's like, that's where he needs to be to feel alive and to feel on task. Uh, Maybe you've had to navigate the season where you were defining yourself as no longer married, right? Or you were no longer pregnant, no longer engaged, no longer an auto worker, no longer a pastor, no longer a teacher, or a realtor, or whatever it is for you, right? We go through these seasons sometimes where we start to define ourselves by what we've lost. We define ourselves by what we're not anymore. And one of the most significant things about this story recorded in scripture that has been our guide for the past couple weeks, and we're gonna look at it again today, is that in this story recorded in scripture that we've been looking at, God's people have been defining themselves by what they're not anymore, They've been looking back over their shoulder as they're wandering. I'm going to show you this map that we've looked at the past few weeks because this is the land between. And we've been using this map and the story that happened in this area as our guide for what it looks like for us to navigate our own transitions. But what happened with God's people is they were once slaves in Egypt. And you can see it's that big green region over there. It was lush and it was fertile and they had crops and they had incredible food and there was that whole slavery thing. But they seem to have forgotten about that at this point because they can just remember the food and the lush green land. Uh, So that's where they came from. God led them out of there. That area up on the right that says Beersheba, that's the land of Canaan. That's the land that the God's people were promised to go to. It was known to be a land flowing with milk and honey. So again, this lush, fertile area where they were headed to. But right now they're found in the land between, right in the middle, in that big brown stretch known as the Sinai Desert or known as the wilderness. And they're wandering around under the leadership of a guy named Moses. They've left slavery. They've left Egypt, but they're not yet at Canaan. They're not yet at the land of promise. And unfortunately, as they wander through the desert, what God's people start to do is they start to define themselves, not by who they're becoming, which are the people of God's promise, right? The people who were promised this new beginning and to be this great nation. But instead, they define themselves by who they are no longer, that their former slaves, that they don't have what they once had in Egypt, and they've been wandering the desert for two years at this point. We're looking at the same kind of section of the story again. They've been wandering. They're no longer in Egypt, right, no longer in slavery, and they can remember, and they know they're no longer eating the cucumbers, and the onions, and the leeks, and the garlic that they once had, and the melons, and they're complaining about it, and so these are the first steps of these people stepping in to a new identity it's the first steps of this group of people becoming the people of promise becoming the people of God and it's not going so well because from the start they're complaining left and right about where they find themselves they're complaining about everything and they're resentful towards God and towards their leader Moses I mean it happens time and time again they run out of water the people complain the people blame Moses the people blame God Then the people run out of food. There's this food shortage, and God still provides for them. He gives them this food called manna, but the people complain, and the people are resentful, and they they point fingers at Moses, and they say stuff to him like, you brought us out here to die in this desert. We were better off back in Egypt, right? We were better off slaves and it reaches this boiling point at this moment in the story that we've been looking at together and uh, just to recap where we've been on week one we looked at those complaints that the people were shelling out and while you may think that nothing grows in the desert what we discovered together is that the land between whether we're talking about the literal desert in the story that we're reading or those moments of transition in our lives the land between is actually fertile ground for complaint to grow Right? There's plenty for us to gripe about. There's plenty for us to dwell upon. So we said it's fertile ground for complaint to grow, but we also said there's another r- response that we can choose, that the land between can become fertile ground for trust to go, and the thing to grow, rather, and the thing that makes a difference is the way we choose to respond. The thing that makes a difference is the thing that we choose to allow into our heart, the thing that we choose to dwell on. And what we said in week one is that you don't always get to choose what happens to you but you do get to choose how you respond, that you you can actually choose to dwell and to grow bitter and and to become a person marked by complaint, and you can let that grow in your land between season, or you can allow God to grow your trust throughout this season. Then last week, uh, we continued, and we looked not at the people's complaining, but at Moses's response to the people's complaining, because he's a leader, and he offers this amazingly honest prayer where he's basically like, God, you gave me these people, I didn't want them, I'm not their mama, I'm tired of it, and if this is how life is gonna be, just kill me now. So really a bright spot in his story. But what we said is that the land between can be fertile ground for meltdown like that, right? If you've ever been there before, maybe you've had a moment where if you were honest to God, you felt that intense where you're like, I can't do this anymore, right? I can't carry this any longer. And so we said that it can be fertile ground for meltdown, but the land between is also fertile ground for God's provision to show up. Because Moses unloads all that drama on God, but God says, look, I see you, Moses, and I hear you. And he recruits these 70 individuals to become like many Moseses to help him carry the weight and help him lead the people. So the people are in this cycle of complaint and it's been going on and on and on for two years and it's boiling over. Moses is exhausted. He needs God's provision to help. And so today to wrap things up, we're gonna look at God's response to all of this. And I'm gonna warn you out of the gate, it's not good, okay? We're gonna look at how God responds, and it's not happy. In fact, what we're gonna look at, it's one of those Old Testament accounts that can be really difficult for us to understand and really difficult for us to even reconcile with maybe what we've heard about the character of God. It can be hard for us to reconcile, and yet this story that we're trying to allow to be our guide is so important for us to understand because it can really be instructive to us as a cautionary tale for what can happen in our land between seasons. Uh, It's funny, we talk a lot about biblical examples, but to be honest, if you read through the Bible, there's way more bad examples of how to respond to God than good examples of how to respond to God, and this is one of those bad examples. Okay, the people get it wrong and get it wrong and get it wrong and get it wrong, but we have the opportunity not to necessarily follow their lead or to imitate their response, but to learn from the lessons they chose to learn The hard way. And here's why it's powerful for us. Here's what's on the line for us. If you're in or maybe gonna be in a land between season someday, the land between, even though we don't wanna be there, right? the land between, even though we find ourselves disrupted and life is off balance and we don't know where we're headed, the land between is the space where God actually does some of his deepest work. That when we're off balance and when we're disoriented and we're uncertain and we're forced to trust, The land between can become the space where God does some of his deepest work if we let him. But the stakes are high because the land between can also be the space where faith goes to die. The land between can go one way or another, and it's our actions and our reactions that determine whether or not our experience in these seasons lead to growth and spiritual life or whether it leads to spiritual death. So we'll jump back into the story. If you can remember, Moses has complained to God, uh, and he's like reached his boiling point. He can't handle these people, and they're complaining anymore. And so he cries out to God, and he says, hey, these people are demanding meat from me, but where am I possibly going to find enough meat to actually feed these people? Because the people are tired of manna, the substance that God provided. Uh, Manna, which literally translates to, what is it? because it would just show up, and the people were like, what, what is this? And they ate it, and they hated it, and they're sick of it, and so they're begging for meat, and God sees and hears all this, and he replies, and he says, tell the people to Moses, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you'll eat meat. So, so consecrate, he's basically saying like, this kind of ceremonial, uh, probably washing hands or preparation in some way to receive something from God. It's like when grandma makes everybody wash their hands before Thanksgiving, right? It's like, get ready because something's about to happen, but pay attention to the tone that God has. He says, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it, right? This sounds like Eric at dinner time with my daughter Eden, right, where I'm like, this is what you get, and you will eat it. <laughs> Maybe just me, right? But we go through those seasons where it's like, come on. And you can feel the intensity behind his tone. It's like somebody's not happy here. Right? God's like, I've heard you, and you're going to get your meat, and you're going to eat it too. And in fact, he goes on, and he raises the stakes. Uh, God says, you won't just eat it for one day, or two days, or five, or 10, or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you've rejected the Lord who's among you and you've wailed before him saying why did we ever leave Egypt so it's kind of intense right like God feels a little unhinged at this point where he's like you're gonna get so much meat it's gonna come out of your nostrils and that's in the Bible so you should read it it's fun uh he's clearly fed up right he's fed up in this moment and the hard lesson right? As we've been looking at what can grow in the land between, what can show up in our stories in the land between seasons, the hard lesson for us is that the land between can actually be fertile ground for God's discipline. And that's what's happening in this story, right? The people have been complaining and complaining and rejecting God and rejecting Moses's leadership. And God's like, I got to do something about this. You want your meat? You're going to get your meat, guys, right? And this is what's so difficult. It's because This concept of discipline is so hard to understand in a loving context. On the one side, we can probably all understand that there are some things that happen in our lives, some things going on in our lives that God may want to correct, may want to adjust, may want to shape and to mold. But oftentimes, discipline has been used as like a sledgehammer in people's lives, right? Discipline is about power and punishment and showing people how wrong they are. But oftentimes, what happens in these land between seasons is the stuff that's in us that maybe ought not to be gets revealed when life is off balance. It's like if I took the lid off this water and just started shaking it, guess what would go everywhere? Water, right? It's not a hard question because it's in there, right? And when it gets shaken, what's in there falls out of there. The same thing's true in our lives. So if we're full of things like anger or bitterness or complaint, We can hide that day in and day out, right? We Just kind of bury it when life is normal. But when things get knocked off balance, guess what comes out? Whatever is in there, whatever is in there. And sometimes those things show up and God disciplines us for that. But what's so important for us to get today and what we're gonna spend quite a bit of our time on today is to actually have an understanding about what God's discipline is all about. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I wanna be really, really clear as we talk about this. Because sometimes we make the assumption when we go through loss, We go through difficulty, we go through a circumstance that doesn't make sense to us. The natural question we ask is like, what is God up to? And sometimes we draw the conclusion that God causes bad things in our lives to teach us a lesson. That is not at all what I'm saying as it relates to discipline. I don't believe God causes the tragedies that we face just to try and teach us something. I think that's kind of a sick view of God's character to be honest. But rather what I'm saying is when we go through these moments, whether it's through a tragedy or just something unexpected, God leverages them. God uses them to shape and to mold our character. And and as it relates to how we respond to this idea of discipline, for most of us, probably when we think about what discipline looks like, we think about what our parents showed to us, right, or what our parents did to us, or how our parents disciplined us. Uh, And a lot of times, we can equate discipline to the notion of punishment, right? So if you came from a family that spanked, right? Discipline has a very visceral reaction to you, right? You remember what that was like. I remember my dad, I was actually just telling my daughter about this yesterday. It's like a casual threat, but I was like, remember, (laughs) grandpa used to drive around, like my dad, and he never had to do it, but sometimes when we were driving, he said, do I need to pull this car over and spank you right here? He would normally tag on in front of God and everybody, (laughs) which I appreciated. The threat was enough, right? I was like, no, you do not. (laughs) We'll see what happens with Eden as the years (laughs) go by, but Uh, If that's what your family was like, that may be what discipline looks like to you. If your family got heated and raised the volume, right, and raised their voices, maybe that's what discipline looks like for you. If your family avoided conflict at all costs, you're like, what is discipline? (laughs) No, you're like, like, oh, we all hated it when that happened, right? It's just uncomfortable, and it should be avoided. But here's what's really important for us to understand. It's that God's discipline generally doesn't look like punishment, Okay, that's like the surface level read of what happens, is that God just punishes people for bad behavior. But there's something more going on. And and what happens in this moment, right? God seems kind of harsh and kind of intense, but did you notice why God's harsh and why God's reacting? It's not just because they're complaining about the cafeteria food. It's because they've rejected him again and again. These people that God called out of slavery, that God gave a promise to, that God's offering this new life and this new beginning to, they're saying, God, we're better off without you right? We're rejecting you. We would rather still be slaves. It would have been better if you had never delivered us. And so Moses hears all this, and he's probably standing to the side, right? God's like, you're going to eat meat. You're going to eat meat for a month, and it's going to come out of your nose. And Moses is probably like, where are we going to get this from? In fact, he goes on in the scripture, and I'll just paraphrase it. He's basically like, wait, 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 wait. They're going to eat meat for a month? Okay, God, if we broiled every goat, and boiled every lamb, and I sent out fishing expeditions every single day for that entire month, we still are not going to have enough meat for that. And so God offers a creative solution. And as you fast forward in the story, uh, the text says that a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. And and so in case you don't know what a quail looks like, this is uh, the quail That are common in the middle east this was an area uh, where quail tended to migrate but what god is going to do is like the most absurd quail migration that has ever happened Uh, because i don't know if you measure in cubits these days but the little footnote in my bible says that uh, two cubits deep is about three feet deep so we've got a stack of quail blowing in okay like three feet high and it says that it was two cubits deep or three feet deep All around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction and in case you don't know like how far a day's walk is I'm not exactly sure what they mean by that but the CDC currently recommends that uh, we walk at least five miles a day (laughs) okay so five miles three feet deep Uh, most people if they were like just walking for the day could hit like 20 to 30 miles a day so like imagine that for a second three feet high here to Kokomo or here to Wabash, right? You've just got quail stacked up everywhere in every direction. And so the people have been complaining and they've been eating manna and they're sick of it, right? And they're like, we just want some meat. And God's like, okay, quail time, right? They're like everywhere. And so here's what the people do. It says all that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and they gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. Again, I don't know if you measure your food in homers, but the footnote at the bottom of my Bible actually said that that is potentially about one and three quarters tons per person, right? Hundreds of thousands of people with their truckloads of quail (laughs) doing their thing. And so the people have been craving it, and they have more meat than they could possibly imagine. And then the axe is about to drop, because God goes on. It says, but while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hatava, because there they had buried the people who had craved other food. It's kind of tricky to understand, right? Because it begs some questions about the character of God. Like, like they get all this quail, they get all this meat, and then all of a sudden there's this plague, and that's where they buried the people, right? Some of God's people died as a result of that. And, and it, it begs the question that a lot of the Old Testament, if you read through it, begs of us. Like did God just fly off the handle and smite his people? <laughs> like did God just get fed up and he's like, I'll show you, here's your meat, boom, Like, and take care of them? Which, by the way, this is a phenomenal Bible story to tell your kids if they're complaining at dinner time. Like, if they won't eat their broccoli or whatever, you can just be like, hey, it's Bible story time. And, like, this one time people complained about their food and God killed them. <laughs> so, here's your broccoli, right? It's just, that's a free parenting hack. Uh, but it, it feels like God's a little unhinged here, right? Like, is complaining a capital offense? Is complaining really worth This response, we gotta talk about discipline for a second again. And let's not talk about God's discipline, let's just talk about discipline in general. Like parenting is a very common context where we see discipline show up. And we respect good parents who provide timely and appropriate discipline to their children, don't we? Like like when we see children who have not been disciplined, we're like what is wrong with those parents, right? We don't blame the kid, we're like somebody teach them, somebody take care of them. And, And it's a loving thing to do. Like When parents discipline their children, it doesn't contradict their love. It's actually an expression of their love for a parent to try and help their child learn what it looks like to live and be a healthy and effective person in this world. We respect good parents who do this. Uh, I was thinking about this because I have to do it often because I've got a five-year-old who is in like testing the limit season. She's my daughter, so she'll probably never leave testing the limits season. And, and man, we have these moments like just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she was with me during the work week. Uh, my parents weren't able to watch her, so I had her with me. Uh, we had promised her she really wanted to see the Paw Patrol movie that just came out. So I was like, hey, if we have a great day, we office in a movie theater, right? Uh, we know how to fire up the projectors, and we can watch Paw Patrol this afternoon. But you have to take a nap. So she lays down for a nap. Every 10 minutes, she comes out. Right? I've got a potty. Okay, we go potty. Lay down. It's too dark in there. Okay, we make it darker. Now it's too, like, now I, I don't know. I don't like it. It's not working. So, like, we keep doing the thing. Every 10 minutes she comes out. She has a new excuse. And towards the tail end, uh, if you were with us during our future Family seri- I'm sorry, uh, family Matters series, uh, we'd heard from Andy Stanley, right, to respond to our kids' mistakes by going, oh, no, I practiced that. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do this stuff that we're all learning together. And it had been, like, this hour of her just disobeying and ignoring and coming up with every reason. And at the end, I had to go, oh, no, we don't get to watch Paw Patrol today, right? And honestly, it was harder on me than her, I think, because I'm like, I was looking forward. I was going to get popcorn. <laughs> I'm going to take a, like hour break here. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and if you're concerned, we tried again the next day, and she got the movie. But like, the reason we did that, the reason I did that in that moment, the reason I had to stick to my guns, even though I didn't want to, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this to you because I know how excited she was, is because I remember what parents need to remember, is that we're not just raising children. We're raising future adults. Right? We're, not, we're not just raising children, and so if we don't in some way filter out some of that like, self-centered, narcissistic stuff that's just in all of us from the beginning, if we don't help kids learn that that's not really the way that we are, then they grow up to become self-centered, narcissistic adults, who then have their own kids and who then continue on the cycle, right? And, and so thoughtful parents know it's part of their job to bring thoughtful and appropriate discipline. I tell Eden that almost every time I have to discipline her. I'll say, Eden, listen, you are a good and smart and amazing little girl, and I wanna help you to grow to become a good and smart and amazing big person, right? That's why we have to do this, because it's about who she's becoming. And this isn't only true of parents, right? Discipline shows up in the workplace. In fact, most of our workplace conflict happens when discipline isn't being appropriately applied in the workplace and you see people and they're not doing their job, right? Or they're, they're not working with you the way that they ought to be working with you and, and your boss won't deal with it. And so you're so frustrated because you're like, somebody needs to bring some discipline to the table. Uh, bosses who won't have hard conversations sometimes makes it more difficult because we actually appreciate respectful, accurate, thoughtful discipline. It helps us all play nice together. Uh, I just wrapped up my YMCA fall soccer season. I was thinking about discipline and coaching because we had this moment yesterday during the game. It wasn't me. It was our uh, assistant coach who like jumped on it before I could even get there. Uh, We were playing the game and there was this one kid on my team and he made this mistake. He, He called another kid on our team a crybaby. Yeah, and me and assistant coach both heard it. He just fired faster. And I went to turn to say something and he goes, hey, We don't talk like that, and if you do that again, you're out for the rest of the game. I'm like, whew. way to go, man, way to show up, right? Because we're teaching this kid, that's not how we play on a team. That's not how we treat other people. It was loving, firm, and appropriate discipline to help him grow into the person that he needs to be someday. And if we just let it slide, right, we just taught him that that's how we can talk about people. That's how we can treat other people. So we respect good parents, we respect good bosses, we respect coaches when they bring appropriate discipline. My point is we can respect God in the same way. We can appreciate when God's discipline shows up. But here is what is so, so important for us to remember and understand about God's discipline. It's that God's discipline is redemptive, not punitive. In other words, it's meant to bring something out of us. It's meant to restore something in us or shape something in us. It's not just punishment. It's not just like wrath for wrath's sake. And again, sometimes we get this picture of God that says God's just like angry and up in the clouds armed with his lightning bolt ready to take you out the second you don't play by the rules. But that's not what God's heart looks like at all. God wants to teach and to restore and to preserve relationship with us, not just get us to be like robots who comply to him. That's why he made us humans. That's why he gave us this free will. And in fact, there's a quote uh, by C.S. Lewis, the author and theologian, Uh, who talks about the nature of hell, right? The ultimate eternal punishment as we imagine it. Uh, But C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I willingly believe that the damned or those who are condemned to hell are in one sense successful rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. In other words, his point is that basically like this ultimate expression of God's discipline or judgment in his mindset He's like, actually, God is just giving these people what they've wanted all along. They're successful rebels. The gates are locked from the inside. That, that we can make choices. That ultimately, people are saying, like, no, we're going to reject God. We're going to reject God. We're going to reject God. And eventually, God goes, okay, you can. And that's his picture of what hell looks like. And that's what we saw in this story. Right? The people are complaining, the people are complaining, they're rejecting and they're complaining, we want meat, we want meat, and eventually God goes, okay, you can have your meat. But they named the place where they buried the people, uh, where they buried the people who had the craving. The problem wasn't God's anger. The problem wasn't God's response, the problem was the craving, right? that the people wanted what they wanted and eventually God gave it to them and it led to death. But it's not just that. Because remember, we're in the land between. God is leading the people somewhere. And Numbers 11 is where all the complaining and the whole quail situation happens. In Numbers 13, so just two chapters later, the people have continued on from that moment. And in Numbers 13, Moses sends these spies into the promised land. They're like at the threshold of the place that God has promised they could get. And they go in there and they see it really is the land of milk and honey. Like it's amazing. Like it has everything that we could possibly want. And it's better than we even imagined. Except there's also a pretty serious army in there. And they're like giants. Okay, like, we can't handle it. In fact, they see them and they turn and they run back and they report to everyone. They're like, we can't do this. Okay, so here's the spy's recommendation. They come back from the Promised Land, and they say, hey, we recommend that we recruit a new leader. Okay, Moses, on the wrong track, clearly. That quail thing was a mess. And so they're like, we need a new leader, and we want him to take us back to Egypt. They wanna turn around. It's this rejection of God again. And here's what it shows us. It's that for two years, God had his people in trust school, and unfortunately, they failed. Right? They, they were in trust school, and God's like, hey, when you run out of water, will you trust me? And they said, no. If you run out of food, will you trust me? And they said, no. And he's like, well, here's your food, right? And then there's this terrible plague, and God still moves them forward. He's like, will you continue to trust me? And they actually see the promised land, and they still say no. And all along the way, God was trying to train them in the land between for what was next. And ultimately, God does it again, and he gives the people what they want. Right? The, the plague came from their gluttony. So you can have your meat, and look what it gets you. And in this moment, he gives them autonomy in their leadership. He goes, you wanna recruit a new leader? Be my guest. Here's 38 more years in the wilderness. So what could have been this two-year proving ground, this two-year training ground, became 40 years of wandering. And in fact, God said, you're gonna wander so much that nobody from this generation that had your two-year chance to learn nobody's going to enter the promised land. It'll be your kids who take it. And and you're just going to wander and wander. It's a missed opportunity, right? And and here's the point for us today. We go through these seasons where we're caught in between where we once were and where we want to be. And the land between, it can be a place that requires God's discipline in our lives. But the land between can also be the seasons in our life that prompt the most transformational growth if we're willing to choose well, if we're willing to trust in the midst of it. See, God didn't just tell the people, hey, you're leaving Egypt and go whoop into Canaan, right? He didn't just like transport them immediately because he wanted to do something in that space in between. The land between was meant to be this training ground for trust. It was like boot camp for their faith where he's like, follow me, follow me, follow me, trust me, trust me, so that when you get there, you're ready To receive it. And unfortunately, the people rejected and rejected and complained and complained. We never want to experience these land between moments. But what if the same thing could be true for you in your season? What if it's a space where God actually wants to deepen your faith and deepen your trust and teach you something and prepare you for whatever is on the other side of the land between, even when you can't see what that is? We said it this way in the first week, but I think it bears repeating. What if the space? that you detest the most, right? That space that you're sick of and you want to get out of it and I don't want to be here anymore and I just feel so uncertain. What if the space you detest the most has the potential to produce the fruit that you most desperately need? Because the land between, it's trust school. (laughs) It's the space where we learn to actually grow and we can actually grow in transformational ways. And what I mean by transformational growth is different than just like incremental growth. Incremental growth is what happens when things are good. Right? It's like a, an inch by inch, kids are fine, job's good, marriage is stable. Like, we grow a little bit in those seasons. But when life is off balance, we can grow exponentially. We can experience transformational growth. Transformational growth occurs when things don't go according to plan because we're forced to trust. But as we've said all along the way, the choice is ours. The right? land between these seasons where life gets knocked off balance. It can be fertile ground for complaint to grow in our hearts or trust. It can be fertile ground for a meltdown or for God's provision. And it can be a space where we receive God's discipline or a space where we experience transformational growth. And the power of understanding how to navigate these seasons is we understand that our reactions to what we're experiencing actually shape the results. It shapes where we end up, what we allow into our hearts shapes the results of these land between seasons. Or in other words, we can choose. We can choose where we end up on the other side. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it is so, so important for us to understand because the land between is the space where our faith can grow the deepest and it can also be the space where faith goes to die. And we choose by what we allow in to our hearts. So let me pray for you. God, these land between seasons are so difficult, and I don't want to gloss over that. And, and those moments of complaint, they're, they're allowed. You can handle it, right? Those moments of meltdown, sometimes we need them. Sometimes we even need to receive your discipline when we, dis- we discover that what was in us isn't actually what we want to be there. But God, I pray for my friends here today. Whether they are just exiting a land between season, whether they're in the middle of one right now, or maybe one's yet to come, I pray that they can have big faith and big trust in the midst of it. Even when we don't understand, even when we don't know where we're going, God, may we have eyes to see your character. May we open ourselves up to trust you. And may we have that big hearted belief that says you can actually grow us in transformational ways when life feels unclear and life feels off balance. God, draw near to those of us who are navigating difficult things and help us understand what to do with all of the things we're feeling and experiencing. And God, at the end of the day, lead us in looking more like your son so that we could reflect your heart and reflect your character to this world. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.